You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. We once spent a New Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. That's right. Welcome into another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show, and I'm joined by the stars, Adam Gorney and Mike Farrell. Guys, how you doing? Doing Great. awesome, man. Great. All right. Yeah, that's all I like I the energy on a Monday. How are you guys' brackets doing? Terrible. Uh, yeah. Well, let's. I don't even know. I don't follow it enough. I got Villanova. Uh, who else do I have in the final four? Uh, it's bad when you can only name one of your final four teams. I got Duke. They're still alive. Uh, I have uh, I have Michigan, Purdue, and Kansas still alive, but I have Virginia winning everything, oh, so I need well, complete well, Remember when I told you last everything. week that Ouch. Virginia never wins anything in any major sport? Remember? <laughs> and then you rattled off like that they've won everything Yeah, in every lacrosse sport. and baseball and all that garbage, but they've never won anything in basketball or football, which are the two big sports. I, I warned you, Gorney. They're just losers. It's just the, the way it is. <laughs> Listen, if you lose to a 16 seed, you're a loser. I'm sorry, that's just... Yeah, you are. And anybody who gets angry at that, anybody, you know, any snowflakes out there who get angry at me calling Virginia losers, you're absolutely the biggest embarrassment in college basketball history. What is it, 1 in 135 or something, 16 seeds were? 165, I think. So you're losers. And Gorney, you're a loser for picking them to go all the way, so... Um, I'm a loser for a lot of reasons. Oh, I had uh, Gonzaga, the Zags, and then... Uh, Who almost lost almost, in the first round. Almost doesn't equal losing to a 16 seed. And then I had <laughs> someone else in, in that um, in that top left corner where Virginia was. Kentucky, maybe? Cincinnati? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I had Cincinnati. Did they Losers. lose? I don't even know. <laughs> they oh, lost God. to wow. Nevada. I got one loser, but I got three out of four still left. But I did yeah. the uh, the Yahoo one, where you can win like gift cards and stuff to Amazon, and I picked a, just a ton of upsets just to see if that would work. And uh, you know, it didn't work out that well. A lot of the upsets I picked weren't weren't the ones that <laughs> happened, and and then the ones that did happen I didn't pick. So, but who cares about that? I've got more people calling me names. Who, who uh, now? <laughs> well, when you're when you're a big TV star, awful radio show. Uh, Kirk and Callahan in Boston. Uh, yeah, oh, I don't listen to them, but um, they were on the Aaron Hernandez documentary, and as was I. And I was watching it Saturday. I was watching it because I knew that's the part where I was in, and um, I had one person, my wife's friend, tell me that the the years have not been good to me, so that was nice to hear that I looked, yeah, I looked old and awful. Wow. Um, so that was very sweet. And then an old <laughs> high school friend of mine said that I looked good, and that was a female. So I'm one for two. 
But um, I was in that part of it talking about his high school days and all that other stuff. And then last night I was just watching, you know, it was through the trial and all the other stuff. And I took exception to those two guys making fun of on the phone with Michelle McPhee, who comes off, if you watch the documentary, she's an investigative reporter. She comes off as just a horrible, awful woman. Um, you know, very, very angry, clearly anti-everything. Um, kind of a Nancy Grace Yes, type. exactly, except without the talent or the, you know, anybody listening to what she says, except for in a documentary that was on Oxygen. Um, but they were making fun of Hernandez because she's the one who broke, and I'm doing the old air quotes, broke the story that he was gay. Uh, and they were making fun of him mm -hmm. with the tight end and the wide receiver jokes, you know, the, the jokes we all heard when we were three years old. And I took exception to that because it was very homophobic. And, and then they got angry at me. They got angry at me for calling them out for that. And they said that we only made fun of one homosexual because he's a murderer. So my response is, so you can make fun of any African-American as long as they're a murderer? Like, <laughs> right. you know... You can make fun of any heterosexual because they're yeah, a murderer? Yeah, the logic just didn't sit well with me, and I thought they were stupid, and I said as much. And so they were on their show this morning. And they ha clearly have no listeners. They have probably as many as us. Um, because my Twitter feed did not blow up at all. But I, a friend of mine sent me the clips that where I was mentioned, and they called me a jock sniffer, and they said uh, I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about, and that Aaron Hernandez is barely six feet tall, and I listed him as six foot three in the documentary and all this other stuff. And, you know, I look back at his combine, and he was measured at six foot two. So I think I'm a little closer when I said six three than six foot, but. Yeah, they were pretty angry, and they were actually wanted to effort to get me on the show or something like that, but I haven't heard from anybody, and I'm not going on their stupid show if they do want me on there. But So this is like the second week in a row I've got a little bit of a dust-up going on, but this is like nothing compared to Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is actually a talented person with uh, a lot of followers. These guys clearly uh, nobody cares about and I have more followers than they do, which is, you know, it's one of those things where you brag about followers, you're a massive loser, and we all know I'm a, I'm a completely massive loser, uh, and I'll be the first to admit that, but if you've got a radio show, a morning radio show in Boston, and you've got no following, I mean, that's just embarrassing. So anyways, they're out to get me. So I, I didn't... I didn't see the documentary because I was at the Adidas West Coast Invitational all day on Saturday. Mike. Well, it was I, it. I missed you on the Oxygen Network. I usually have it taped. I, it's a channel full of CSI and uh, Chicago PD, NCIS, and Chicago PD. None of my favorite shows. So I'm usually not a regular follower. I'm more on uh, Roseanne and CMT, and then Reba comes on and. Then I go to King of Queens. Um, <laughs> well, you missed it. But is was the whole documentary about like the breaking down of how he killed Odin Lloyd yep. and his arrest and all that yeah, stuff? Or yeah. was it more about no. his sexuality? No, it was about all of that stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a two hours to two days. So it started with, you know, how good a high school football player he was and blah, blah, blah. And then going off to Florida and then getting drafted, but sliding in the draft to the fourth round. And then... The second day was mostly about the arrest and the trial and then the double homicide and then being found uh, not guilty of the double homicide and then the suicide. And uh, they say that, you know, the 
the rumors of him being gay were one of the reasons why he committed suicide or whatever. And I don't know. I was listening to these clowns, and they're like, you know, I, I'm glad he killed himself and all this other stuff. And I, I'm just like, the whole thing's sad because, you know, I, I knew the kid. He was a Connecticut kid. I worked in Bristol quite a bit doing ESPN stuff and saw him quite often. And, you know, I wasn't friends with him by any means. And when he went off to Florida, I saw him one more time after that, and that was it. But the whole thing's sad. But there's a lot of venom and anger, obviously, out there about it as well. And I understand that. Like, you know, he, if you murdered somebody, you feel bad for the, for the family. Um, you know, if you murdered three people, you feel bad for three different families. But there's just a lot of venom. Uh, and well, Michelle McPhee, uh, you know, obviously the big-time investigative journalist who's breaking all the big-time stories here. Uh, you know, if you read her Wikipedia page, I think you'll find some interesting things about her and her activities in a Mercedes Benz. So, <laughs> uh, you know, er, uh, we will. Uh, I hope it's not. It and I hope it's. It can't be anything salacious because she's hey, not. It's none of my business to talk about. All right. Well, she's an investigative journalist who breaks all the big time news. So I've never heard of her. I've never heard of this radio show in Boston. I don't care about any of those people. Aaron Hernandez. It's a sad situation. He turned out to be a terrible person and a murderer. And let's look at that. If you're going to bring up his sexuality as part of this story, uh, you know, it reflects more on the people that do that than uh, the people. Well, and they can bring it up if they want. Just don't make fun of it. You know, I mean, we're gone beyond that. Yeah. I think, Mike, Mike, I didn't didn't get to see it either, but I think it was more talking about the, the inner. Uh, conflict that he had yeah, it, with it, his life is that it right? It was and and kind of the context know, they, they of that. They were on there, obviously saying, "So you're saying he's a tight end, uh, and he used to be a wide receiver." Oh my god! Uh, 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 you know, and, and this Michelle, uh, who's not a looker at all. So you know, whatever you found on Wikipedia, um, I could probably look as good if I threw a dress on. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about on Wikipedia, but it's whatever it is if it's salacious it's surprising to me but yeah i just listen i'm a defender of morality we all know that i mean you guys know me so well i'm the king of morality and so when i <laughs> i almost said that without laughing but <laughs> i couldn't hold it but in. it kind of it just kind of annoyed me so I, I was tweeting last night while watching it and they took exception to it and then they called me you know things i've never heard before oh my god he's a jock sniffer and he likes to measure 15 year old boys and he smells the socks of 17 year old boys and all the other stuff that i've heard for 20 years of my life and uh you know whatever i'm, I'm more accomplished than either of these clowns and they have a uh, a radio show in what one of the top six or seven markets in the United States where all you have to do is talk about the Red Sox for four hours and you're going to get ratings um, you know but they don't seem to have much of a follower because I was not attacked much by whatever their name is Kirk and Callahan's you know regular listeners not not like Jamal Adams fans those guys really hated me and <laughs> they attacked me pretty good so uh, when you're comparing Jamal Adams versus these two guys Jamal Adams clearly has a lot more clout but I don't know I, I, I try not to be a lightning rod and I don't think I am I mean listen in, in the whole scope of things I'm a recruiting analyst 
in a small little world with 117,000 followers. I'm, I'm like a pimple on the butt of the world. So I don't understand why people... That you are, Mike. Yeah, that but why, you do are. People, why do people <laughs> even pay attention to what I'm saying? I mean, these people who have better lives than than me supposedly you know you got a big radio show in in boston or you're jamal adams and you're the fourth pick in the draft and you're a millionaire just who cares what i say um but anyways i'm under attack again guys so i know you come to my rescue but like i said they have as many listeners as we do we get about 500 a week uh they probably get about 500 a week as well so i think we're even with them (laughs) so this is my this is my get back You're, the people ripping you are really falling. First, it's Jamal Adams, then it's these guys in Boston. Next, it might be two losers that do a podcast. Yeah, like us. Well, listen, <laughs> you go, you come out against me, and you have to, you have to take the wrath of, of Mike Farrell on his uh, podcast, and potentially have dozens of people listen to the truth. Truth bombs being dropped everywhere. Yeah. So you want to talk about grad transfers, our next big topic? Yeah, let's do that because that thing's blowing up a little bit. Actually, we got a story on the front page that's uh, blowing up. And the only reason I brought it up is because some of these guys we remember very well. I mean, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Keller Christ. I, I, I know you weren't either. But could he be the savior at Tennessee? It'll be interesting. I mean, Guarantano's going to get his shot, right, I, you would think? I mean, uh We'll see how that goes. Keller Christ was always a kid who, you know, looked the part but never really delivered on the biggest stage, and so we'll see if he can do that in the SEC. Um, there are some names on this list, though, that I do f- fondly remember uh, and and think can can do pretty well. K.J. Carter-Samuels, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be in the running for the starting job. I think that's probably going to be Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Casey Tucker... Uh, you know, getting that fifth year at Arizona State could be big for him, although I think he will be an NFL player. Um, and then uh, Alex Ophidile or Ophidale, or however you say his name, I thought was going to be a pretty big-time player, a very athletic kid, fast. Uh, I remember seeing him at some events and, and was really impressive. Uh, never really turned out for him, but uh, back at Missouri from his home state, in that offense, I think can be pretty special. Well, remember we saw him. We, we, he we saw him on film, and he looked really fast. You know, it was against Missouri competition, and then we saw him at the five star challenge, and he was not that fast. Um, right. And that was that, that was what was that? That was the knock against him a little bit. So, um, you know, going to Oregon where it's all about speed, speed, speed was a little bit of an odd fit. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, his dad. I mean, his dad's the. Missouri wide receivers coach now, but um, had, had ties, uh, clear ties to Missouri. So it was a sort of a surprise that he decided to leave and go to Oregon, but that didn't work out. So I think he can be very good for them. Casey Tucker, I was always a fan of, liked him a lot. Um, you know, and then obviously you mentioned KJ Carter Samuels. Uh, Madre London, I liked a lot out of Florida, ran very hard, powerful yeah. kid. I thought he was going to be very good at, at Michigan State. Uh, you know, L.J. Scott kind of stole his thunder. Venzel Bulware, who was at Tennessee, um, <clears throat> he could be key for Miami as well. The, the kind of interesting one is Calvin Anderson, who was a two-star at a high school who went to Rice that nobody wanted. He was a six foot six, 240-pound offensive tackle. So on film, he looked like a tight end. Um, nobody wanted him. Rice took a flyer on him. 
late, and uh, now he was the most coveted of the grad transfers so far. It was a huge recruiting. Yeah, they're battle. talking about a talking about a replacement for Connor Williams at tackle at Texas. That's going to be big, and we'll see if he could uh, he can do that for them. And then Casey Hughes was a two star kid who's going to Michigan now, and. There was a question whether he would actually win the starting job at Utah, so it'll be interesting to see if he can win the starting job at Michigan, but he'll help their depth. But I think the one on here that's going to be the most impactful of all is Drew Brown, who was an unranked kid out of California that Adam Gorney completely missed. Um, you know, he <laughs> yeah. went to Hawaii, put up huge numbers. Now he's going to Oklahoma State and could be, you know, Oklahoma State's starting quarterback, and we all know, you know, He's going to put up numbers. Whether he can, you know, avoid turnovers and, and be Mason Rudolph and lead that offense the way Rudolph did is doubtful. But uh, he, he is arguably going to be the next guy at Oklahoma State, and they've got a lot of talent. So he'll be the, the one that's most interesting. So of these guys, you know, you got the four-star guys like Tucker and Chris and, and Bullware and London, but... The more intriguing guys to me are the are the lower ranked guys, Calvin Anderson, Casey Hughes, and then you know of course um, Drew Brown, who I just mentioned. So check that out on thefrontarrivals.com. The article is absolutely going viral and exploding. Uh, Bleacher <laughs> Report just picked it up because they know how good our stuff is and they love to aggregate our content. So uh, I I thought it was interesting. I worked on it with Woody Womack and I I hit him up last week and I said let's Let's not wait till the very end and, and do all of them. Let's let's hit ten now, because there's some big names that are impacting the spring. Um, Tennessee has two of them. Uh, one they would really like though would be an offensive lineman like Bullware or or Anderson, because they were really counting on Cade Mays to be part of that class and plug and play and help them on that offensive line, because I think that's they need that more than they need a running back. Um, but they do need a quarterback, so Chris will push Garantano. And, and Chris' dad was an executive with the 49ers, right, for a while? Is that correct? I, I'm not sure. He had NFL connections, I know that. And uh, I know he, he was a kid that a lot of people liked because he was big. You know, he's six foot four, 230 pounds coming out, Northern California kid. Are you saying Chris? Yeah, Chris. Oh, yeah, his dad was the quarterback coach, Jeep Christ, of the 49ers. Yeah, and I don't know where he is now, but, you know, obviously he had uh, good coaching as well. But the thing that, you know, kind of always remembered about him is that you try to get him anywhere and he wouldn't go, you know? Yeah, that was the thing. I mean, we tried to get him to the five-star challenge, and I had dealt with literally probably 50 questions about it, and then... At the last second, it was the decision that he wouldn't go. So he wouldn't show up to a lot of events on a national level to really evaluate him against other guys. And I'm not going to say that's a necessarily a red flag, but there is some concerning, you know, tendencies about like not wanting to show up and compete against other people. Yeah, and we knew he was going to go to Stanford, and he's from Palo Alto. I mean, he lived in Palo Alto, so it's like I'm not leaving home. I'm going to the closest college, which is a good choice. You know, Stanford's a good choice, but. Uh, I'm not going to go to anything, you know, to really show off and compete. Now, he did compete in the Elite 11 and all that stuff, so maybe it's just us. Maybe we suck and he wanted no part of us, but um, I, I just... So explain this it. to me, Mike. Uh, Jeep Christ was an offensive assistant for the Bears, 
quarterback coach for the uh, and tight ends coach for the Cardinals, the offensive coordinator for the Chargers, the quarterback coach for the Cardinals, the tight ends coach for the Panthers, the quarterback coach for the 49ers, the offensive coordinator for the 49ers, and is now the tight ends coach for the Broncos. And that was all since 1991. <laughs> he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different stops in the NFL in the last 25 years. But that's years. not bad. I mean, 25 years is a long time. That's a long time. Uh, seven jobs? Seven jobs in 25 years isn't so bad in the NFL. I, I'm going to say, you know, listen, I'm not defending him in any way, shape, or form, and I don't know how successful he's been at those stops. I would have to uh, actually, you know, do some pre-show research, which, of course, I don't do, um, to see how he was. But I don't think that's bad. And you know what? Ke- keeps getting hired, you know? So, so yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. Uh, brother of Paul Christ, the, the Wisconsin coach. Yes, who's also a very good coach. And and Keller didn't really pan out. Um, you know, he yeah. was behind Kevin Hogan, and he took the job away from Ryan Burns, and he lost the job to K.J. Costello. So Stanford days were not that great. He didn't put up great numbers. Um, so we'll see at Tennessee. He's a talented kid, you know. Tennessee needs help. Uh, and these grad transfers can sometimes pan out. We learn the majority of the time they don't, um, at least when you're talking about big-time skill position players or quarterbacks. I mean, Malik Zaire comes to mind from last year uh, where everybody was, like, recruiting the heck out of him and, uh, we want you to come to our school and, you know, you could be the difference maker, and he stunk. Um, yeah. So we'll see, you know, if Chris can sort of have a bigger impact. But he's... He's the biggest quarterback name. And then, like I said, Drew Brown could be the guy. Uh, K.J. Carter-Samuels. I mean, he'll be involved. It's it's hard to give the job to, to DTR because he's. I think he's arriving in the summer, if I'm correct. Yeah. And he's going to have to pick up that offense so quickly. But we all know Chip Kelly, too, is kind of a eccentric guy. And if you can't move and if you can't run that offense and that up, uh, you know, that high-paced offense – He's not going to stick with you. But I think they'll probably be a transitional quarterback before DTR gets his job. And it could be Carter Samuels. Um, could be. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But, yeah, just another typical amazing article on Rivals.com to check out. So um, right now it's just it's blowing up. So if you can't get on it, um, you know, just keep trying. Because the articles like that, you know, they, they tend to really – uh, oh, I just burn up the pages. I just read your McPhee thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting, huh? Yeah, that's great. Well, it wasn't anything salacious, so that does make a lot more sense uh, hmm. than than what I was thinking when you sit in a car or whatever. And who cro- who crossed out Tiger Woods is good again? I did. Why do, I, I did. Why do we need to talk about golf on the, on here? We're already talking NASCAR. <laughs> because I, I'm going to tell you this. Tiger Woods, if he wins a major, and he's coming close, and he's much better than he was since – he's the best he's been since 2013, and he's getting close. He's finishing – I think he finished 10 under this past weekend. If he wins a, a major, it's going to really affect Gorney because Gorney's living – you've moved, right? Yes, I am finally in the house. So what, and what if, hole if, are you if on? If he wins a like, major, what, this, what hole are you on? The sixth hole. 
golf is going to absolutely explode if he wins a major. And then Gordy's going to have to wait for his tee times, and it's going to screw up his entire day because he's going to be out it's, there. It's going to be like a big party on the sixth hole. Every every hole will be a party. It'll be like Caddyshack out here, yeah. so I don't want him Well, plus anything. there'll be a bunch of horrible golfers picking up the sport again. So, I, I don't know. Are you a slice or a hook? I mean, are they, can they slice into your house? Or is it a hook? Do you, so, do you even know the difference? Think. Right is slice. A right. For a righty. <laughs> for most golfers, you would know. You're always out on the on the links. Uh, a righty would hook into my house. Oh, wow. So, they could pull one right into your living room. But we're up on a hill, so you'd really have to hit a good one. Oh, all right. Well, then you're safe. But, the, you know, Tiger Woods affects Gorney. That's why I was thinking. So... We don't have to talk about NASCAR either. Gorney went to the NASCAR event and watched a bunch of cars go around in a circle and got excited about that. But we'll hit that later. But uh, it doesn't take much. You're to such it. a simpleton, Mike. You're a simpleton. You go to NASCAR. Now, I used to watch NASCAR on television because it was, to me, fairly exciting with Jeff Gordon and all those guys back in the day. I don't know any of them now. Uh, I used to root for the M&M car because I like M&Ms because they're yummy. Oh, um, but... It, they just go around in a circle. Now, you're fascinated by how fast they go, but yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go fast, Corny. It's not just fast. It's all about science, engineering, you know, tire and gas, you know, tires and gas. You just can't put the pedal to the metal and try to go as fast as you possibly can. Do you remember, by the way, speaking of... Idiot. Speaking, idiot. Speaking of that, <laughs> do you remember when I got a Mustang at the opening? Yeah, and we were racing uh, a little above the 55 speed. A little bit above. We were racing Chris Knee, who works at 24-7 now. Um, I think he worked... To the exit. I think he worked for us at the time, and uh, we were racing him to the exit, and they were ahead of us, and uh, they were in a Prius. And uh, I took the Mustang, and I must have gone probably 98 miles an hour or something. (laughs) And Gorney, who's afraid of everything, if you don't know Adam Gorney at all, he's afraid of elevators, closed spaces, open spaces, escalators, um, bridges, bridges, he's afraid of bridges, yeah, bridges, everything, he's afraid of heights and all that stuff, he's also afraid of Mustangs going 98 miles an hour, cutting off Priuses, but we won, we won that race, if you remember, so... You've already had your NASCAR experience with me in Oregon. I don't know why you're excited about this one. I think that was the last time I was in a car with you. Nope, that's not true. Because since then, we took the amazing ride from Arizona to okay. L.A. with Edward Lewis asleep in the back seat. Um, <laughs> and it was like it was like driving Miss Lazy. <laughs> And we had to uh, we had to switch driving. I was driving for a while, and then we had to switch because you didn't want to be sitting in the passenger seat with nothing to do while we were in such a wide open space. And that's when I learned you were afraid of wide open spaces. I said, "Wait a minute! I thought you were afraid of confined spaces and closed spaces." And you said, "No, no, this is freaking me out. There's way too much like." vast land what if we get stuck out here and all this other stuff so yeah so i let you drive and you drove part of the way as well so that was not the last time i don't know we might have been in the same car too when i flew you across the country to do an article on jadavian clowny (laughs) (laughs) there's been a lot of uh, things that have made you do that uh you know you probably haven't wanted to do over the years but uh 
So I, I noticed there's a note on here. It says official visits start in less than a month. Yay. Yay. I'm excited about it. I'm really not. I don't think it's a good idea, but I didn't think the early signing period was a good idea, and it turned out to be awesome. So maybe this will be good, too, because all of these guys can pick the right school for them because that's what they do. They pick the right school, not not at the coach or the assistants that are recruiting them, that many of them will be switched jobs by the time they sign or whatever else. So, hey, I was wrong about the early signing period. Maybe I'll be wrong about early official visits. Too. Well, and I think that's the reason why there haven't been as many commitments. I think people are waiting to take some official visits. Uh, we're, we're still waiting for the rash of commitments to come down because it's really weird. It's, it's eerily silent. Usually by the middle of March, you have a, a rash of commitments that starts. Usually, actually, after signing day, you have a rash of commitments. Yeah. And then it gets real bad in April and May. And then, of course, through the summer and summer camps when kids get offers, it gets bad as well. So usually you get about four months straight of just commitment after commitment. But there's so many undecided kids in the Rivals 250, it's, it's pretty amazing. So my only guess is that they're waiting to take official visits and... You know, we're going to get a ton of kids that take their first official visit in the spring and then commit and then, you know, maybe take their second official visit and decommit. And uh, Or the, the interesting thing is going to be the kids that commit based on their first official visit or second official visit in the spring and then get to take a few more in the fall. And then once they take their visits in the fall, then they'll decommit. So I think it's going to lead to actually more decommitments um, rather than yeah. less. But it should kick off that de that that commitment craze that we're waiting for, um, and then and then the decommitment craze will occur, you know, probably after the season starts in December, right before the signing yeah. day, uh, the early signing period. We'll get a ton of decommitments. Only one of the top twelve kids in the country is committed. Um... And it used to be where kids would go on junior days and commit, and now it seems like junior days don't really matter much anymore because official visits are only a couple months later. Uh, the thing that I think we're going to see and kids are going to regret and they have to watch it, I've talked to a lot of kids too that says, that say, I'm going to take four official visits in the spring and then one during the season. And I'm thinking, well, you're not going to see a whole lot on campus during the spring. Uh, a lot of kids like to take their official visits in the fall to kind of get a feel for the campus during football weekends. And they're going to uh, be out of official visits. Um, now with uh, you can take official visits in the spring and in the fall. I think a lot of kids are going to go on the road in the spring because they're excited. They want to get official visits under their belt. And then they're going to be out of luck, let's say. Uh, in the fall because they've already used up all, all of their official visits or many of them. Out of luck. Uh, they can't take all five, though. So, I mean, they won't be able to kill all five visits, which is good. But you're right. Yeah. They might end up having, you know, limited official visits left and want to see four schools with two left or something like that. But I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting. But like you said, you didn't like the early signing period. I didn't like the early signing period. It turned out to be the signing period. Uh, you know, so it's going to be that way this year, and I think this will be interesting to see how this affects it because this is the only change from last year to this year. Is last year they had the early signing period, but the kids couldn't take the officials in the spring, and this year they can. So we'll see how much of a difference that is. Um, hot seat. The hot seat stinks. The hot seat is horrible. The hot seat. Yeah, is it is boring. It's crap. Um, you know, I guess we were spoiled last year with all those coaching changes that occurred 
but this is the worst hot seat I've seen. Uh, it's hilarious because you see some of these websites that are that are uh, you know dedicated to hot seats, <laughs> and when you see Jim Harbaugh on it, you just laugh yeah. like crazy. Uh, one of these websites has Jim Harbaugh ranked ahead of Ed Orgeron. Uh, and Larry Fedora <laughs> is on the hot seat. So it makes me wonder, like, who's actually putting this together? Uh, what are they drinking? What are they smoking? Uh, what is their diagnosis? Because it's just, you know, it's not an exciting hot seat when you got David Beatty and Lovey Smith and Cliff Kingsbury at the top. And on one of those websites, Cliff is spelled wrong. So That's good. Uh, I, th- I think we're looking at the same site. Yeah, uh, it is going to be a boor- It seems like it's going to be a boring hot seat unless something comes out of uh, left field. Um, CoachesHotSeat.com has David Beatty, Lovey Smith, Cliff Kingsbury, Luke Fickle, and Kalani Sataki as their top five guys. That that's that's a snore fest to me. Yeah, so. but they're the, also the the, um, the clowns that have Jim Harbaugh sixth. So you yeah. got to kind of take yeah. that and throw it away, and you know. Uh, I, I think the interesting guy to watch is Gus Malzahn. Not that he'll get fired, but he just signed an extension. And you know, if, I think they play their opener against Wisconsin, I believe. Yeah. Um, you know if they start off slowly, everybody's going to want him fired, and there's no way they're going to pay that buyout. But he's going to be an interesting one to watch. And then the new coaches. You know, the new coaches won't be under the hot seat. They'll be under the scrutiny seat. But there's so many new coaches that – are expected to do amazing things. So Taggart at Florida State and Jimbo at Texas A&M and Chip Kelly and on and on, if those guys get off to slow starts, people are going to be like, oh, what a horrible hire this was and blah, 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 or Jimbo's mailing it in or Taggart's not ready for, for showtime or Chip Kelly's done and uh, he doesn't have his... Herm Edwards is already on the hot seat, yeah. Well, he should be. I mean, that's just absolutely yeah. horrible. So <laughs> so when I saw your hot seat thing, I'm like, it's going to be tough to write those articles, which is usually one of our staple articles that we love to write. And, you know, remember when we had James Franklin on the hot seat a year and a half ago? See, we're, we were smart. We, we lit a fire under him, and then he got, he got going. He that's saw that article. That. I know he saw the article because I actually <laughs> heard from him. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we lit a... Uh, fire under him. It was right after the Minnesota game where they were trailing at halftime or something like that, and he was very defensive in his press conference. And we were like, "Oh yeah, he's on the hot seat. This guy's going to get fired potentially this year." And then I think they've let's be honest, lost one game since then or two games since then. But let's be honest, he was on the hot seat. Everyone who followed Penn State football absolutely despised the guy and his excitement about things when things were not going well. And once they started rolling and went to the Rose Bowl, he became the favorite of State College. So he was on the hot seat. No, 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 no. Uh, Honest, uh, honesty doesn't matter. Fired. People don't will never admit that. There are people out there on the Tennessee board that will not admit that they were defending Derek Dooley tooth and nail <laughs> when he was first hired and that it was a great hire. Uh, and that Butch Jones was the answer to all their problems. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all revisionist history when it comes to that stuff. So we get yelled at for having James Franklin on that hot seat a year and a half ago. And uh, everybody else says they loved him. Now, if you pulled the message board threads, which, of course, we could do, you're right. It was just, this guy's got to go. He's horrible, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, But that's every 
team site every week. I mean, oh yeah, I've seen threads on the Alabama site where Nick Saban had to go. Like after they lost to Clemson in the national championship game, his time here is done. He's washed up. You know, literally stupid things like that you see all the time. So yeah, that's what makes college football so great. So you wanted to talk about that segue was pretty amazing to James Franklin. So talk about your little Micah Parsons thing. Yeah, he said today at his spring press conference that uh, he had been questioned about why you know he's putting up with this from Micah Parsons, the commitment, the decommitment, the recommitment, the looking at other schools and all that kind of stuff. And I guess Parsons has come in and done really, really well during spring football, which is not surprising because on the field the kid is an absolute monster. I think the thing that Penn State's going to have to do with him is constantly have to rein him in just to make sure he's focused on football and, and being dominant on the field. Um, I think that's going to be a challenge over the next couple of years. Uh, I think James Franklin and his team probably have it right in how they're going to handle it. I don't know what position he's going to play. They, they're talking about middle linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive end. When he was on our show for signing day, he said, you know, we know he can play defensive end. We want to see what he can do at linebacker. So he could be one of those hybrid types. But in terms of athleticism and, you know, watching Penn State football closely, this kid is going to be a super freak athlete, athlete who should be on the field from day one. It's just keeping him reined in and focused on continuing to dominate. Them. Also has one of the best nicknames out there. What is the it? The Water Boy. <laughs> Great nickname, because that's exactly how he plays. Just yeah. like the Water Boy did. He's the type of guy that'll tackle 10 guys to find the 11th guy with the football. He is a freak. And he will be he, a dominant he's, he's player. He's also the type of guy, though at the Army game during practice, and it's a, no, it's a known fact. Everyone who's ever put on a football helmet knows that you don't light up the quarterback during practice, and Parsons comes off the edge, and poor Phil Dracovic is standing there, and he just ripped into him and just knocked him right down. It was, it was honestly kind of stupid to see, um, see him do that, but uh, it did speak to how freaky athletic he was. Well, be. and he's been known to do some... You know, not so smart stuff, you know, here and there. But he's a great player. Most athletic defensive player at Penn State since LeVar Arrington. Boom. Yeah, that's, that's good. That should go viral. I don't know who that would be. Who, who would that upset? I'm trying to figure who out who. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to upset this week. I don't think that would upset anybody. How about no, this? I think Ten times good. more athletic than LeVar Arrington. That would upset LeVar <laughs> Arrington, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, and you wouldn't—you would never stop hearing the end of that no, one. No, I know. So I didn't really mean that. I'm not going to say that out loud. But, but I really do think he's the most athletic big athlete that they've had since LeVar Arrington, and he could have that type of impact. So, um, oh, yeah. We already talked about hoops brackets. We could talk about the Jets-Colts trade. I think we're going to get out of here in, what do you think, like, 45 minutes? I like it. I like it, too, because I don't want to talk a lot. Jets, Colts, trades. By the way, my phone has not stopped ringing since... That's not good. <laughs> when you see where the phone call comes from, and, and it's it's a major college like town, you know it's a coach. 
you just know it is. <laughs> and that's exactly what I just got right there. So that's not good at all. Some of that'll give that'll give us something to talk about next week. Maybe, although those conversations I usually keep very, very off the record because we don't want to we don't want to out anybody for yelling at me. I've been yelled at by the best, but I I hate when I see that. It's like you see if it comes from like New York City or something like that. I'm like okay, then maybe it's a you know someone trying to sell me something or you know credit card company or something like that. But when it comes from you know specific town and specific podunk state, you're dead. So I'm dead once that voicemail comes through. Uh, Jets Colts trade, what does it mean? It means the Jets uh, were afraid of getting shut out in the quarterback deal, and they've got somebody in mind, and they think he's going to be available at number three. Um, and I'm not sure who that is. There's rumors that it's Baker Mayfield, but wouldn't he be available at number six? You would think he would be, but, uh, I mean, let's say Darnold goes one, right? Is that the thinking now? That's the thinking. And, and then two is... Um, you know, the Giants haven't said they want to take a uh, – all, all the Giants fans want them to take Barkley because they need a running back badly. But they haven't said whether they're going to yeah. take a quarterback. I think this is actually moving up to three. <clears throat> They've got three in mind, and they want to make sure that nobody trades ahead of them and gets one of those three. Um, because that's the thing you worry about. If you're the Jets at six and you're just sitting there, yeah, you're going to get a quarterback, but you might not get the guy because somebody else could trade up with the Colts. And they could get right. your guy. So they've got to have three in mind, assuming that possibly the Browns and Giants could take one and two. So that's why it could be Mayfield. Because if you think Darnold and Rosen go one and two, which is just, you know, pure guesswork. It could be Darnold and uh, Josh Allen or whoever. Um, you know, Mayfield seems to be that guy that's right in that range. And I think he'd be a good fit for the Jets. So... Uh, it's got to be a quarterback. They're giving up a whole lot for that pick, though. They must really be in love with Baker Mayfield if that's the guy. Yeah, and that's what they said. You know, they, they, Trubisky last year, they, they moved up and gave up a whole lot for that. You kind of got to go all in on a quarterback. Um, it's just the way it is, you know. There's another phone call. I don't know if it's interrupting my uh, talking, if you're hearing this or whatever, but that's about... Ten phone calls since we've been on the air, which is not good at all. I'm trying to figure out what I did, but I did something, so I'm gonna have to figure that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, maybe it's trading up to get Barkley. Maybe they, you know, know that the Giants are gonna take a quarterback and they want to. But I think that would be stupid, and that makes no sense whatsoever either. Um, so it's got to be a quarterback. It's got to be. So, like I said, I think out of those six picks. I think you could very well have four of the top quarterbacks in the country taken in the first yeah, six picks. And, and we've talked about that before, how there's there's a, a perceived rush, and so now there's a rush. So you have to take the quarterback, even if you're not completely sold on him, and you got to get somebody, so you got to take him early. And it looks like now Chubb will fall at least a few spots because the Colts are out of that pick, and I don't think the Jets are looking to take him. I don't think they trade all the all of the, all that stuff away for a non-quarterback, and so it looks like that's what they're doing. That they're they trade it up to just make sure that they get one of those top two or three quarterbacks that they want, and now they're guaranteed to get one of those guys. So if the Browns take Darnold, then the Giants take either Rosen, Allen, or Barkley, and then 
whoever is left, that's who the that's who the Jets would take. I would imagine, unless they're super sold on Baker Mayfield. And based on recent quarterback drafting from the Browns and the Jets, they'll both screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's another voicemail. That's not good. So let's hear about your little day at NASCAR, and then we can get out of here. Go ahead, talk about how the cars went around in a circle, and the noises were really loud, and you could have got brained in the head with a tire, which happens here and there. It, it was great, and I recommend if anybody has the opportunity to go to their local track to go. It's so much fun. Uh, it, it was a, not the most exciting race of all time because Martin Truex, no, to, no surprise to NASCAR fans listening to this, dominated the whole race, and Kyle Busch pushed him a little bit, and Logano pushed him a little bit, but Truex had the best car yesterday. Uh, it was 60-something <laughs> degrees in sunny Southern California. The best car. Uh, That's good. It was great. I like and, that. And it, How were the pit stops? just guys going around in a circle. You have to go see it for yourself. They do good go in the pit? To, was the pit stop impressive? What, what, it was very impressive. Um, what's your local track? I guess the one in New Hampshire, right? That would be the closest. Loudon. That's the closest yeah, to me yeah. in New Hampshire, yeah. I'm, I'm a man of the people. It looked like Trump's America yesterday in Montana. <laughs> you, you're, a, you're a New England Trump's socialite snob. America. I live right near Stafford Motor Speedway, which has like lower-level NASCAR uh, races, but I'm not going there. Um, it's so fun. I am it's, a snob. It was, it I can't believe you hung out with, like, you're not, a, you're not an everyman. You're a little. Oh, I, I am the every. No, you're a little highfalutin. I, I can't picture you drinking, you know, Bud and hanging with NASCAR people. Bush, Bush yesterday. I was supporting Kevin Harvick's sponsor. I can't see you doing that. Honestly. Mightily, mightily. Until the, until the last lap. Until you that think car. about being a driver. Until that car you, you, you would fit in that car pretty good. You're you're a little guy. You could just stuff yourself in that car and ride around the track. You'd be a good racer. Stuff stuff myself in the car? I, I get what you're saying. Well, you're not. And then, uh, you, you can't be tall to be a NASCAR driver, but most of them are thin and in good shape. And Saw Jeff Gordon, saw DW, saw, it was, it was just a great day, and I'm going back next year. I'm buying tickets right now. I can't wait, so then you can talk about it again. Now, who, who drives the M&M's car? Kyle Busch, but he was he wasn't in it yesterday. It's the peanut M and M's. Yeah, well, same thing. I mean, M and M's are M and M's. They're all good. So that's my favorite NASCAR racer. Then. Yeah, my uh, my niece picked him because of that too. So, you and uh, my nine year old niece had the same thinking on which car she liked the most. I think that's probably the story of my life, right there. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to stop too, right, Dave Barry? Yeah, I mean, any oh. listeners that we had before talking about NASCAR, they're probably all gone now. After Unless you have a NASCAR, NASCAR story. Do you have a NASCAR story? No, no, I've never been. I would go just to check it out. I'm, I'm like Gorney, I'm a man of the people. Are you defending yeah. my, my um, Captain Morality stance, too? These haters coming at me? What's that? Are you defending me as well to everybody you talk to about my morality stance? Well, I will. I actually just started watching. I wanted to tell everybody you can watch the uh, the documentary, the two part documentary on Oxygen's website. So, because I, I wasn't around this weekend either, but I'll, I'm gonna. Uh, they have check a it website. <laughs> they have a website. I, I look a little greasy. They gave me no makeup. We shot the uh, the piece in the 
unair conditioned attic of a house they rented in Bristol, Connecticut. Oh really? So, Are you being serious? Yeah, I'm being serious. So Yeah, you looked I, a little sweaty. Yeah, when I got there, it was like a hundred and two degrees, because this was in September. So it was like a hundred and two degrees. <laughs> it's like uh, they gave me a water and they sat me there and they asked me questions for an hour and a half. They used maybe four or five of my drops for a total of about a minute. And I looked like a greased pig um, <laughs> because they didn't give me any makeup either. So I was like, well, what are you going to do? This is the way it is. So so I don't look good. Whoever said I did, my friend from high school, she was lying. But I appreciate her lying to me. Um, but you check it out. Yeah, you get some ra- really amazing sound drops from me. But overall, I think it was fairly well done. Uh I think it's it's kind of interesting. The one thing it didn't have was a lot of video. I guess they couldn't get the NFL licensing rights to show him like in actual games or the college football licensing rights to show him in actual games. There's a lot of pictures. And maybe that's the artistic way they approached it. But uh, you didn't get to see a lot of action. But you certainly got to see the perp walk and a lot of the courtroom stuff. And I don't know, whatever. I wrote that article last year. and It was just sad freaking sad story it doesn't matter you know what you think of him as a person and whether he's a murderer or not it's just sad so whatever that radio station up is up in boston that no one listens to you can bite me how about <laughs> i think that's a good place to end yeah let's just all right all right well i'll, I'll remind everybody like i always do you can follow us on twitter uh, at rivals mike at adam gorney and at real dave barry We will see you guys all again next week. Bye.